G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start, but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Technical difficulties already, that's great. So we'll say Thanks, good so. evening. Monday, hot uh, summer evening up in uh, up in Queensland. I don't know uh, how cold it is your way, Zeb, but well, I'm, I'm sure you're suffering from some of the heat if you were out there in the mountains. Uh, for the last few days, had some warm days in the mid-30s, but yeah, sort of down to the low 20s again today, so typical Victorian weather. Mm. Yep, sounds that way. Well, before we kick too much into the story of Zeb, most people will recognise you from uh, from your antics on uh, on the internet. Zeb's been around a long time with his YouTube channel and, and doing some great things. I think it's the first time I've seen you without a hat, so um, <laughs> we might be able to dispel a rumour whether you have hair or not. <laughs> yeah, plenty of hair. It's, uh, it's, Just it's, on, a bit top, it's on top as well. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Um, we might just uh, have a quick round the grounds, guys, and uh, just catch up on a few things. Um, kicking off towards the raw, the Red Deer raw, in the next, geez, what are we going to say? Three weeks? Five four weeks? weeks? Five, five weeks, five yeah, weeks. End, of, end of March. End of March up here, right? End What's of March, going on yeah. with the prep, guys? Jono, are you, you getting into it? No, I think this year is going to be a mess for me, unfortunately. Um, things oh. are not lining up, unfortunately. So I think the Red Deer Raw will be a bit quiet for me. Um, potentially you come down to uh, New South Wales with yourself, but I have got a family trip booked, so I have to see if I can balance both of those out. But, um, yeah, it'll be the first one in a few years that I miss the Raw, unfortunately. Never mind. Mark, you're in the thick of the action already. Yeah, so uh, it's been up there twice now. So first time went up and set the cameras up. Uh, just came back last Friday from the first run of so checking the cameras. I now carry spare memory cards, so I just swap them over and wait till I get home because I used to download it in the scrub there yeah, with a laptop, you know, against a tree. <laughs> Twenty minutes download each, but no, bring them home. Uh, lots of so the block I hunt for what I've learnt over the last three or four years is that it doesn't hold many stags but it holds a lot of um, hinds and uh, spikers and so the stags come in quite late uh, so and the cameras have played that out again so we've got spikers and a couple of forkies but mostly uh, mostly hinds on the cameras um, one camera got wiped out by a cow, which is annoying, but that's what happens. So I moved it, and another camera's got dogs on it, which is um, I, that video, little video I posted when they were howling when I first up got there. Got one at night time, one of the dogs on there. So the, so I'll go back again after this trip to Bathurst, which is this week. I'll go back up there again, check those cameras again, and then I'll probably leave it for three weeks and try and get up i want to get up there for the last week of march that's when i, I that's when it seems to be at its most active up there that last week of march 
Mm. Good so luck that's with my, it. That's that's my aim. Yeah. Well, you'll be you'll be the one and only in this crew chasing reds. I think my mm. eyes are squarely focused on fellow for the rut. Not long after that, Zeb. What about yourself? Do you get up here chasing reds, or do you really uh, focus more on your samba work? Oh yeah, look, um, yeah, basically a samba hunter. But I have had the opportunity with a friend that was living in Queensland to come up and hunt on the ridge ballot. Um, so he organised it all, and we um, hunted up there a couple of years in a row. I'm just trying to remember how long ago it was now. Um, I reckon it was 2018, maybe 2019. No, it must have been before then. 2017, 18. Um, so yeah, we hunted. Six days the first time up there with no opportunity. We were hunting with bows, so um, a lot more difficult than with mm. the rifle. Um, and then the second year ended up nailing a really nice old stag on the first afternoon, so sort of made it all worthwhile. But, yeah, he's aged mm. at 14 and a half, um, big old boy, ready to die, I think. And, uh, yeah, nice five by Good four. Good stag to take. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, how did you find good. that experience compared to? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Zeb, how did you find that experience compared to your, your normal your normal daily hunting? Yeah, look, it's always good to have a change, see some new country, and that, and um, just being vocal well, compared to a samba um, really gets the blood going when you can you know hear a stag roaring mm. down in a gully, yeah. and you know you've mm. got a plan to get the wind right, and uh, hunting with the bows is a whole new challenge. So. Um, we end up having three stags roaring in this one little um, section of um, country where like three little creek kit systems sort of came in together and we got right in amongst them and they had a hot doe in there and yeah, they were just mad on her and we just slipped right in amongst them and yeah, shot the big bull at nine yards, which was pretty cool. <laughs> That's a good experience. Oh yeah, yeah. we were yeah. all jumping like around. And, sorry, we just wish we had a GoPro because it was just like incredible, um, like to be that close to a, a big old bull that's just mm. roaring and looking for that hind in the long grass. And, yeah. <laughs> the last year with our roaring, so on the on the week, uh, the last week of March, I were at, they were going. So there was so much activity that I actually didn't shoot that day. I just just. Just kept on going, moving. I think I, it was eight stags I ran into that day. Just moving, just <laughs> literally, you just kept on going around the corner. There was another one and another one and another one. And they were just going crazy. So went up two weeks later when it quite often took a a bit of a roughie um, because everything was just it was just too good a condition to kind of split, upset it. So I'm hoping I'm going to have a better outcome. You know, that's going to pay off this year and. I, Hopefully we'll see something with a bit better shape because it was a bit. There's lots of them, but they were a bit skinny last year. So I'm hoping they'll they'll um a good another good year of feed. They'll have, um they'll thicken up a little bit, and hopefully they'll be a bit more antler growth as well. Mm. Awesome. So um before we kick on with that, any new gear purchases that you're looking to try out this year? Got any new bits and pieces, Mark? That's in the kit bag. I'm hoping these um. Uh, Steiner LRFs are going to land because for, for for Bathurst, so I'm heading down to Bathurst on Thursday. So I'll drive all Thursday and probably stop somewhere on the way and get into Bathurst for Friday morning. We're hunting 
three days, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they're actually going to move to Pennsylvania State Forest. So we're hunting private land, but we're going to move to the Pennsylvania. And the, got it, some really good reports about what's happening in Pennsylvania at the moment in terms of deer numbers, so that's going to be quite interesting. So that's the State Forest. I certainly haven't hunted before, so it's going to be another you know nice one for the for the for the YouTube channel to check out that one. Um, so I'm hoping that they're going to arrive by then, which is uh, Steiner, but with a rangefinder. So it's the predator with the rangefinder. See what they're like. Um, mm. I mean, the only concern is that I've already got a pouch for a rangefinder on my bino rig, so I'm going to have a spare rangefinder if these things work out well. So. Could be worse That's things, Jono. Um, well, I've got a new scope, which is still probably sitting on Mark's desk <laughs> next to him. He's had a new there. scope in Mark's shed. It left the desk. It's gone in the shed. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's a new bit of kit for me is that new scope. Um, I still need to pick it up from Mark and get it fitted and then, um, yeah, just get to the range and do some zeroing on that. Um, otherwise, no, just doing a little bit of refinement. I've dropped a couple of things out of the pack, just trying to drop a bit of weight, but... Again, I'm not sure where I'm going to be shooting this year, so um, that kind of comes into it. If I'm going down to to New South Wales, then, um, yeah, that'll probably dictate a little bit of change, but not much. I'll try and keep everything the same just to wherever possible, but just refine it every year, drop a couple things, add a couple things, et cetera. So, yeah, and you're talking to packs here, and you've got a new pack, haven't you, mate? Yeah, um, I've moved to the the uh, Kuiu Venture 3000 pack, so it's a, it's a nice lightweight pack, but it's a... It's a 50-litre pack, and it's got a, a nice sleeve down the centre for holding a rifle. Because um, I'm working with Missy, the indicating dog, I prefer to have the rifle strapped on my pack and just take more time to watch and video before taking a shot. Now, I'm going to curse that statement um, as a nice big buck bounces in front of me and I've got to dick around trying to get my rifle, but so be it. Hopefully I'll get the footage first, which is really what we try and do. You'll get that, Zeb, won't you, with all the YouTube creation stuff? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. tough to, to try and balance it. But uh, the big news really is uh, by the time this podcast drops out, it'll be too late for anyone to, that's listening to, <laughs> to book in and come to uh, to the the hunter's camp that we've got going uh, at Nundle State Forest. Uh, we put that out uh, just subtly on our socials uh, for people to latch on to. And between Nundle, Hanging Rock, Tugalo, Terrible Billy, and Nuendok, I think is how they pronounce it. It's booked out solid. Um, we've got a good camp of 30-odd blokes coming in, and it'll just be an, a, a fantastic time for everyone to come and spend a week in and around a hunter's camp and head off in their own direction and go hunting. So, um, Jono, if you haven't booked, good luck. If you have, good on you. You'll be begging someone for a spot by then. Um, I think I will be. But it will be an, an awesome experience. We did it last year. We had about 15 people come through camp uh, and stay with us, and it was really good. So this is really building on, on last year. And uh, watch the space for those that have booked in. There's quite a bit of stuff coming uh, from our supporters that um, that we're looking to, uh, to give away. And, and the headline act that we can announce uh, now, and it'll probably go out on the socials, is um, one of the... Oh, I've got to remind me what it is, Mark. It's the Steiner 2021 8 for 42s for a giveaway. Yeah, uh, they might be the HX. I haven't seen them. I know that it's, uh, it's possibly the HX. Or, um, yeah, as I said, I haven't seen the particular model. Um, but uh, even the older Predators, um, the, the non 
lay, is a rangefinder predators. I always thought they were a fantastic bang for your buck. You know, they, they, were, they were kind of vortex price range, but you would get European glass, and they were very, very nice. Mm. I remember I reviewed them, and I actually thought, wow, these things are, you know, pretty good. Eh? pay for. These things are pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's it. Well, as I said, I stein a binane some up for grabs, which is pretty exciting. And there's a bunch of other stuff coming. We'll, we'll drip feed that out for people just to tease them along. Yeah. But um, there's quite a bit of stuff coming into camp. Some some trial gear from from a thermal company that's that's yeah. going to come up there, so people can have a look at it. Thermals have only just been allowed to be used in state forest hunting. Can't use them after. Uh, uh, well, you can't hunt in the dark, but you can certainly scout in the dark. So they'll be useful for that. But it'll be interesting to see what people think. So yeah, it should be an exciting mm. trip. Really looking forward to it. Good luck getting a spot, Jono. <laughs> Oh, well, it's going to be a Cam Cook. Yeah, exactly. yeah we're going to rouse about this. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's kick on. So um, uh, more of a formal welcome, uh, Zeb. So Zeb Jones, if you don't know Zeb, check his YouTube channel out. This guy's a master of samba hunting and has proven it not just in uh, the work that you did in your in your early days with your YouTube channel and all of the things that you posted up there, but you've now moved it into a training program you're taking people out in guided situations, and it's hugely yeah. successful. So it's been a real privilege to watch it. Um, you won't remember this, but some time ago after, I think just as you were trying to um, position yourself away from um, sort of amateur YouTube stuff and more into guiding, uh, I was I was pretty hooked on your gear. And I was bringing a crew from my hunting club down to Victoria, and I was like, oh, I'm going to take a punt here. I'm going to contact Zeb. Zeb's going to probably tell me to piss off. I'm not going to tell him where all the good spots are, but um, there you were an hour later still chatting to me about where to go and how to go about it, and I just thought that was uh, amazing for you to pass up that, that sort of information to an unknown. I mean, we, we do that through our podcast, uh, but there yeah. aren't too many people out there giving that sort of information away, so I really did appreciate that help and the opportunity to bring you on to um, this podcast to have a bit more of a chat about, about this was just something I couldn't pass up, so... Thank you for joining us. I'm looking forward to this yeah. chat. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. No worries. Um, yeah. So, sharing, so, uh, sharing the um, the uh, experience is what, you know, I want to see people coming down. If you're coming from Queensland, I want to see you have a good experience, not come down here and just walk around the bush for 10 days and then go home and go, yeah, Sandra are the ghosts of the bush and we can't <laughs> find any. All those Victorians are full of shit, but... Uh. Well, um, well, I might have been down a couple of times, walked around for 10 days. That might be, that might be two without a conversation. <laughs> so that, I'm sure that happens a lot. But, um, hey, before, yeah. we, before we get into some of that detail, um, how did Zeb come about? Is it your Christian name or is this a nickname? No, no, so my, my full proper name is Zebulon. Um, and Zeb's just an easier version of that, I suppose. Um, yeah, so the story is that mum and dad were watching uh, uh, an old western back in the day, and there was an Uncle Zebulon, which was a buffalo hunter, so the ones used to shoot the bison for a living, and, and uh, they thought that that was a good name, and so, yeah, that's what and I got. What western was that? Uh, it's called How the West Was Won. Yeah, I know I know. I know, I know, because I'm trying to... Oh, an 80s yes. baby, so it must have been maybe yeah. a late 70s a, or maybe early 80s. That was a huge film. That was one mm. of those massive films that they used to make, were like, you know, epics. It was, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so it's, um, 
quite common in the Bible, and it's a Hebrew mm. name, apparently. I'm not religious at all, but I did take uh, a client out last year, and he filled me right in on where my uh, name had come from. <laughs> so he actually taught me more about it than I knew myself. So That's what happens yeah. when you've got time alone in the bush with new people, right? Yeah, and so Zebra came from... People just assumed that Zeb was short for Zebra, and a few people were calling me Zebra, thinking that, that was my actual full name, and I just sort of let them run with it. Yeah, yeah. and now it's your YouTube and now uh, channel name, yeah. Zebra Zebra yep. Samba Hunting, right? Yeah, Adventure part of the business like as well. Yeah. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh, awesome. Oh, well, that'll clear that up. He's got hair, and his real name's Zeb <laughs> Zebulon. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. So take us back, if you don't mind, and let's let's just have a chat about. Um, your introduction into hunting, what got you, I mean, you're from Victoria originally yep. and you've just got the Samba in the blood. Um, you know, where did you start and how did you get into it? So basically, yeah, born and raised in Gippsland. Um, my father came from a non-hunting uh, family, uh, but his brothers sort of uh, a fair bit older than him did a little bit of bow hunting, a little bit of... Um, more shooting than anything, I suppose, you put it down to back in those probably early 70s. Um, but when Dad was sort of a teenager, like late teens, uh, you know, into his young sort of manhood, he took up uh, fox shooting because fox pelts were worth some money. Um, and then from that, duck hunting, quail hunting, because he, uh, he used to run with a Weimarana. Um, and so Dad, yeah, sort of slowly but surely on his own, sort of taught himself all those sorts of skills. And eventually, I think, I'm not 100% sure on where he got the idea to go deer hunting, but he must have seen one one day or heard someone talking about them and went to the shop and bought some old ex-military 308 full wood and open sights and probably a packet of full metal jackets, you know, <laughs> left over from World War Two or whatever. But, um, off he went and... Um, he found out the hard way that, yeah, Samba are hard to find, especially back in the, you know, probably the late 70s, I'd say. Yeah, right. Um, and he progressed himself um, through just hunting and, and learning from the, from scratch with not really any help. And, and back in those days, it was a real secret society, the Samba. Um, so there wasn't really, you know, there certainly wasn't any... <laughs> YouTube or you know, books or magazines sort of rarely talked about Samba, so he had to learn the hard way, and he was never very successful. Um, and then when I was probably about 18 months old, we moved to the Northern Territory uh, to mm. work on a big cattle station up there, about 80 hours' drive from Alice Springs, north of Alice Springs. Um, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, so my uncle and auntie were managers on a big... Um, property up there and so mum and dad went up there with me to sort of help out and have a bit of a lifestyle change and um, so we spent about four or five years up there only came back for me to go back to school um, so I would say hunting started for me up there because not much to do but chase lizards and you know other little creatures <laughs> that were silly enough for a five-year-old to grab hold of and, um, <laughs> Yeah, but from there, when we came back to Victoria, um, you know, I was about five or six, and my first sort of memory of Dad hunting was he came home 
from the bush one afternoon and, and he said he'd shot a stag but couldn't find it and uh, they'll go in back the next day to have a look for it and it was a school night so it must have been preppies or yeah yeah I reckon preppies would have been five years old and I was begging him to let me go with him to find this stag and I wasn't allowed to have the day off school and I, I still remember it and I, I you know <laughs> it's burned in my memory that he didn't let me go because they end up finding it and putting it down and yeah, so it was his first stag, which was about a 16-inch little samber. Mm. And um, it wasn't long after that, Dad started taking me just on short little hunts for samber and um, and, and just only small ones, but uh, sort of started to drift into like, rabbit hunting with 22 slug gun. And eventually, you know, I could shoot a shotgun and foxes and uh, ducks. So just started at the bottom and worked our way up. But um, Sandbar really kicked off probably when I was about eight and we were hunting regularly, um, weekend sort of hunts, um, in an old hut, Black Snake Creek hut back in the day. And we uh, we struggled to see deer. We, we were hunt, uh, hunting in areas that were heavily hound hunted and, you know, only being eight years old, I, I didn't have the legs to do big miles. and all the rest of it so we really struggled and we didn't shoot anything and dad used to let me sort of watch the odd bum run off and or you know a deer would honk and you just get a flash of it and i would say why didn't you shoot it and he's like i wanted you to see one alive i said i want to see one up close dead on the ground like <laughs> start shooting <laughs> these things will you <clears throat> and um he, after that he was like yeah all right but nothing would stand still and it wasn't until one day on school holidays that um, he used to work up the bush cutting fence posts. Um, so he had his finger on the pulse of a little small group of deer that was near his logging coop and um, we're driving up there one day and one happened to stand on the side of the road for us and back in those days the gun was never too far from reach and uh, slipped the bullet in and shot it out the window and that was the, the first deer I ever saw dead and it was just oh. a big old hind. and uh from there it was sort of just a slow progression hunting low country and no success just constantly getting honked at putting deer up but just hunting the wrong areas and, um heavily hunted by hounds so the deer are really smart and about 14 i shot my first deer which is a really nice 25 inch stag um and that was on dad's block where he was cutting posts and what had happened is he been up the bush all week and the, the stag was crossing the road and leaving his marks you know on, in the soft soil on the side of the road the same spot every day and dad said on saturday i'm going to drop you off there at daylight and he's going to come across that road and you're going to shoot him and it's exactly what i did right on daylight yeah. um yeah so from there it's it's you know i was 14 then so i shot my first stag at 14 and then uh we ended up getting onto some good property up around Omeo and Bernambra and that's when we really started to learn where, that we'd been hunting in the wrong areas because we went from, you know, putting up a deer to the first day we hunted Bernambra, I think we saw like six and it was like, oh, we can, we can pick and choose what we want to shoot here. Like we don't have to just shoot at the, the bums disappearing through the bush, like the old school way that we'd been hunting. And, um, so I shot a few deer out of there and then we got onto another really good private property at Dargo through some uh, family and 
And that's when it really took off because this place was basically a deer farm that had hardly been hunted. The hunters that were hunting it were very selective and it wasn't hard to see, you know, dozens of deer in a day if you did the right thing. And once we started seeing deer, we learnt, learnt a lot about them and uh, that farm finch hunting was much more easier than walking through the scrub trying to, you know, jump a deer out of its bed. And Yeah, so that's how I started with the Samba. It was basically through Dad. And to tell you the truth, I think he learnt more once I was going with him because I was reading books and, you know, mm. every magazine, I was reading the articles to see, not so much because the articles were uh, educational, but you could pick up, all right, this bloke tracked yeah. it out of its bed, um, you know, or it, from the feeding area and he was side cutting. And I, I used to come up with all these great ideas at 14, 15 and say to dad, come on this weekend, we're going to, we're going to try this. And when we started doing that, um, it really did start to come together for us, but it took a long time to say that I would say that I was successful, like probably around 17 or 18 is when I would have said, yep, I can find a deer when I need to. But yeah. you know, that was, you know, nearly eight or nine years of hunting with rarely seeing one. Hmm. That's such a good story of, you know, holding it all together. Your dad must be a patient man. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so dad still uh, never really became successful like as if you want to call success in in antlers and inches um mm. dad shot his biggest stag with me on a guided hunt um and dad always seemed to find a reason not to shoot them and i, I always thought that he liked to see them more than he liked to shoot them um and uh, and then actually now that i've had kids i realize now that i shot a lot and he just watched and mm -hmm. I used to say to mum, why doesn't dad shoot them? And she used to say, he wants you to shoot them. He's happy mm -hmm. to watch. And um, I didn't I didn't really sink in until I become a father and now I've got my own boys that I realised, like, I can, I'm a guide for a business now, but on the weekends I'm guiding my boys onto rabbits and foxes and, and I get the satisfaction 100% as much as pulling trigger myself, so... Yeah, that's mm. awesome. That is, that's fantastic. Mm. And you do, you, you kind of get to that point where you, you know, I think it's just you like to see other people succeed just as mm. much as you like Absolutely. to feel the success yourself. You didn't want to see them succeed. You know, yeah. I really want to see them do well. Mm. Um, my boys are still a bit young in their development, but they'll get there. Um, mm. you know, so they've been, my, especially my oldest, he's been with me a few, um, for the last four, uh, Fights will be his fifth year because we go once a year in winter time, you know. And in a year or two, he'll be he'll be on the he'll be able to be on the rifle. Mm. Yeah, he's building towards it. But you know, as you said, you know, like first couple of years, you couldn't really, you know, just the legs couldn't push it yeah. too hard. But we, every year we get a bit further and a bit longer, further along. Yeah, and I think oh, um, what I sorry what I've learned is with the kids is have to keep it fun. As, yeah. soon as, as soon as you start yeah. saying, shh, it's, you know, be quiet, and you start to get a bit serious, the fun goes yeah. out of it, and then they don't want to go with you again yeah. next time. Mm -hmm. So it's really got to be 
um, fun and, and it's got to be about them and if they scare off whatever you're looking for, rabbits, foxes, deer, whatever, then so be it. You know, we can chase, um, you know, frogs in the bloody pond or we can go yabby in later on or, you know, you just got to keep it fun to keep them interested. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty true. No, definitely. There's a, mm. the, we shot, oh, I shot a uh, little um, fallow last year. With the boy, we shot two on a trip. On this, the second one, he was literally. We were, it, the fellow was near the car. We were coming back to the car, and he. I've got a video. He's dancing in the in the in track. <laughs> he's just there dancing to himself, and I'm trying to get his attention because he's got ear the ear protection on all the time. Yeah. Because I don't want him to be like me. I don't want him to be deaf as a post by the time he's my age. So I'm trying to get his attention because I can see the fellow, and, <laughs> and he's just dancing on the track. <laughs> And I literally ran up and grabbed him. And I went, well, I said, there's deer in front. And he kind of went, oh, there it is. And that was it. You know, it was, it was hilarious. He was literally kind of doing this swaying, dancing to himself as he's walking along. As his little mind starting to wander, so he starts dancing. Uh, so you can, fun. Well, you can, you can, you, you pick up when they start to wander, you know. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I've worked, I've. I've hunted with adults who can't hold concentration for 15 minutes. You know, he, this is two hours into it, so he's doing it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I took so, my little fella. He's now five. So two years ago, I took him to a, you know, a, a hunter's camp, you know, before we uh, we were doing it through the podcast. But there were a few fellas there, and it was just good to be around camp. And he was hmm. so excited to be going hunting with Dad. We're going hunting with Dad. And all we did was stand by the pond and fill it up with rocks for a week. It was great. He loved, he loved every bit of it. Now he's five. He thinks he can outwalk me, which is great. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But the funniest thing happened yesterday was I was out working. I was doing something, and, and he was he was sitting at home watching Bear Grylls. And uh, it's one of his favourite programmes, as you can imagine, as an outdoory kid. And uh, he turned to his mum. She told me the story this morning. She turned to his mum and said, you know why I'm watching this? So when I go hunting with Dad and he gets lost, I can keep him alive. <laughs> right on, all right, I'm ready for that. That's cool. So, That's anyway, awesome. Kids are fun. It's it's great to get them involved with sort of stuff. Mm. So, yeah. So, mate, tell us a little about the so the business, you know, and what that's all about. Yep. So basically, um, through constant requests on YouTube for people wanting me to take them out, I started a business like it was happening regularly enough that it was nearly, you know, <sighs> you're knocking people back constantly saying, no, yep. that's not what I, that's, you know, and I was actually re- referring them to people that didn't do that as part of their you know, thing. But I, mean, I, was, I sat down one day and someone had sent me another message, hey, I want you to take me out, I'm a local, I'm a young bloke, I've got no one in my circle of friends that are hunters, they're all footballers and or chasing girls at the pub. And he goes, I want to learn how to hunt, I've watched your videos, I think, you know, you're the man for the job. And I was like, this is a common thing, like people are saying, they, you know, they, they want to hunt, so, but they don't have a circle around yeah, them to teach. And I thought, you know, we, what what do we need in the hunting community? We need new new blood. And if we can yeah. get that through through um, people that are, you know, just picking up on YouTube and, and going, hey, this, this looks all right, I, I'd like to give that a go. And I thought, 
I need to do my little bit and um, and maybe say yes to some of these people. And um, so I started looking into setting up a business, a guide business, an education business, and straight away the first thing I looked at was uh, liability insurance. And you did. <laughs> if you know anything about guns and hunting and knives and being in the bush and taking someone out, as soon as you say that, no one wants to know you. Um, mm-hmm. So I just went, because I had an ABN already for uh, contract welding, and, which is my trade, and I just rang my um, insurance broker and told him what I wanted to do, and he said, leave it with him, and anyway, he got back to me after about a week, and he goes, no one wants to touch you, so your best bet is to talk to a big hunting organisation uh, and try and go through them. And I contacted, I think his name's... Um, that's bow hunting up in Queensland. Brad, is it Brad Murph? That's the yep. chittle guiding in that, up that one? Yeah. I contacted yep. him through um, social media and just said, hey, what are, what are you doing? And through a bit of a conversation, it was SSAA. And so I contacted them and, and, and got onto the right you know channels. And I was blown away by the price tag of what they wanted for the cover. And so I put it on the back burner again and... And then more requests, and what I decided to do, and I don't know if you've seen, there's one video there where I I think I might be even in the rain, and I'm I'm just talking about interest. Like, I've had all this interest, but who would actually put their hand in their pocket if I, you know, pay this big insurance bill and start this business? Who's actually going to just jump on board? I can say I've seen that. Yeah. So from that, I just got huge support. So I was just pretty much confident I'd get my money back at least, which was, it was $10,500 for the public liability. Um, so I bit the bullet and got the insurance, set up the ABN, got uh, solicitors to write up waivers and, and, you know, went right through all the, yeah. you know, rigmarole of setting up a proper business the, the right way. and. Um, Another thing I needed was a tool guide license to operate in National Park and State Forest in Victoria. So that took a long time too to get that on board and a lot of backing and forward because uh, they actually, the licensing department said that they'd never seen a hunting business request. So that might raise a few oh, eyebrows. Okay, I know that. Okay. That tells um, you something about Victoria. the others. It mm. does. I'm not, yeah. We won't go into that, but yeah. So I, I've no, got no, that license now and um, set it all up properly and uh, I've just expanded my range this year too, actually, which is good. But then getting back to it. So yeah, it just came from YouTube uh, requests to be taken out for a hunt. So I set up the business, but I wanted, I didn't want to just do guided samba hunts because you guys know samba, they don't just hang around each tree and, the, you know, the, there's not... Then there's not lots of them as in trophy size to say that you can come on a trophy deer hunt with me. I wanted it to be more about the young bloke that didn't have mates to take him out. I wanted it to be about the person that wanted to be educated. So I call them guided educational uh, hunter education courses. Oh, okay. So, yeah. it's, so they're just like an individual hunter yep. education course. Yep. So that's yep. what it started out as last year. It was basically one-on-ones. I did some father-son hunts, 
um, but it's small groups up to about three is about as big as I wanted to go. Um, yeah. I did mostly one-on-ones, um, and it was yes, Dikami hunting. We're actively hunting, but not just. I'm not just taking you into a great property, um, and where I've got trail camera photos of you know X X size yeah. stag, and I can walk you into a gully and we're going to shoot it. It was all public land. So, you know, I'm going to be teaching you how to hunt the land that's available to all game license holders in Victoria. Um, and like anyone that uh, has that game license has access to, I don't know how many millions of hectares, like it's got to be a big area in Victoria. And as you guys know, like it's not like that in other states. So we're quite lucky in that way. Um, so, but in saying that, um, even though you've got access to it, it doesn't help you um, to achieve success straight away just because you've got the access. So you need the knowledge to go mm. with it. Um, so my plan was to hunt public land uh, and educate hunters how to, from you know what gear you need, what camp gear, hunting gear, how to find areas, when you find the areas, how to hunt them. Um, right down to if we're successful, how to book for a deer, how to caper stag, all the above. You know, it's just a, it is a guided hunt as such, but I'm teaching you so that you don't have to come with me. You know, it's not something that I want you to have to do every time you go for a hunt is book a hunt with me. You should be able to book a hunt with me and after three days have a really good idea of what you need to work on um, for yourself when you go out on your own. Um, and this year I've sort of stepped away from that basically because last year I think I did 24 individual hunts. There's about 28 clients all up, but I knocked back that many as well because I just physically couldn't be in the bush any more than I was being in the bush. Um, so from September onwards last year I was full-time hunting. I was not welding at all, um, and it was five hunts a month. And I nearly got divorced, Dave. <laughs> so, um, so got a young family, and my wife works. So, the time at home is, you know, is more precious to me than the business. So I had to work out a way to um, still do a bigger volume of clients because I was knocking so many back. I couldn't just say I'll do three or oh, two three-day hunts a week. I just physically can't do that. Um, so I've developed uh, an online course, and I've also got this year a group course, which will be five people, um, and there'll be no rifle, so we won't be actively hunting, but it'll be um, like a, a, a two-day everything you need to know to get you from the ground to at least be confident in the bush and be confident that you know what you're doing when you're out there and not just fumbling around trying to decide if it's a wallaby track or, or, or a deer track. Yeah, so the business is trying to educate more people in this, uh, you know, a more condensed time frame, basically. Mm. New business is, challenges, hey, man. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, to, especially listen to what you just said then, um, are you finding people are approaching you for what you might regard as just basic bush skills in many instances? So with the 
because I do backpack-style hunting is what I yep. specialise in. Um, a lot, I probably reckon 75% of clients want to backpack, mm-hmm. but they might be in a group of mates that rather sit around the fire and drink beer. Yeah. Um, so they go camping, they drink beer, they, they go out for a bit of a hunt, and they call that their weekend. Whereas yes. one of these guys out of that group of four or five wants to take it to the wants next to level. Hunt. Wants to hunt, way. wants the adventure. So yeah. the whole reason why uh, the business is called Zebra's Hunting Adventures is it's not, like for me, hunting is not just the trophy. Right? I know it's probably cliche to say it and everyone's probably... You know, oh yeah, you got you shoot big stags. I I honestly love the adventure. I love our terrain adds that aspect to it. Backpacking just takes it to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the clients that I'm getting have, have started out hunting, might have shot a couple of deer, but they want to bring it up a level. Oh, but okay, they're not, yeah. But they're not confident on their own to do it, or they don't have friends that want are even interested in what they're doing. So they've, they've come to me to experience it because, you know, when you start dropping $800 on a sleeping bag and, you know, and the same on a backpack and then a couple hundred bucks on a inflatable mattress and, and so on and so on, you know, you might drop three or four grand pretty quick. And if you go out and you don't like it, then you've got all this gear that, yeah. you know, your wife's wondering, you know. So a lot of it is to see if they will enjoy it and if that's what they want to do. Um, but yeah, it's just I think I'm a little bit of a uh, safety net for them for that first time because yeah. you know my experience they've seen it on YouTube uh, they see the extreme I don't take anyone on my sort of hunts um, I sort of dull it down a little bit so it's not so extreme so we're not kicking out deer beds and camping on the side of hills killing bull ants all night but um, <laughs> it's you know I tend to. Uh, have a base camp where it's a lot more comfortable. We've got big tarp and we can have a good fire and um, a nice flat area. And, um, so it's sort of a good introduction into backpacking. But I also do the vehicle-based hunts for the people that aren't up to that level or they're not interested in that level. Um, so we just take my camper trailer and set up a base camp and hunt like you would uh, with anyone else. Um, mm. But it's it's basically people that have just, they might have shot a few deer, but most of them sort of tell me that they've shot a couple of deer, but they feel like they were just lucky more so yep. than they knew what they were doing. Um, and they want to learn either what they're doing wrong or what they need to do right to be able to go home and say, this was a successful hunt because of X, Y, Z. Um, yeah. So I have taken some absolute beginner level, um, you would have seen Aaron and his mother-in-law, um, Daisy, which was uh, a great experience. He'd never hunted before, ever, mm. never been in the bush. He brought a rifle, he'd been to the range five times, and I took him on his first deer hunt, and on the first afternoon we ended up getting on a couple of um, of Samba, and he got a nice 14-inch stag to open the account with, and... But all prior to that was, you know, just showing him wallows and, and deer tracks and rub trees and the different, you know, this is wallaby poo and that's deer poo. And he's like, oh, how do you know? It's like you don't realise how much knowledge you have until you're with someone that's got none. And then you just, like, my voice was dry from talking to him for the whole day, you know, this is this, is this and this is that. And, um, 
going through tactics and why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so yeah, I've had them from yeah the very base level to I've had blokes that have shot big stags that just wanted to come back backing for the first time. Um, yeah, everyone what a great experience. Yeah. Mm. What what out like so that that was the super beginner and like you're saying you know the more experienced just want to try something different. You've had a year of guiding people now, pretty much full on, right? What what's some of the really interesting um, or out there experiences that you might have? Surely people have overstated their capabilities and you know things like that. Or are you finding that everyone's pretty pretty honest and upfront about where they're up to? Like. <laughs> You must have found some interesting um, positions. Yeah, so most people say they're fit, but you're not bush fit until you've been in the bush, like, a lot. Uh, and even I've yeah, thought... Well, I've never been, carried a pack up a mountain. Oh, true, yeah. It's the weight. It's the hill I've had. <laughs> I remember one client um, that on the walk out, he said to me, you need to tell future clients about this hill. I said, why is that? And he goes, um, <laughs> if you had told me about this hill and this is what we had to do on the way out, I would not have come. And I'm like, we're halfway out. We're nearly there. Like, you, you've done fine. Like. And he's like, yeah, I'm fine now. I'm doing it. But he goes, if you had told me about it, I certainly wouldn't have done it. So I think in the YouTube, you, and it's the same with any sort of video that you watch. You know, you watch a forward driving video and you go, that's not really steep, but... Then you see that people can't yeah. even walk up here. So I think um, yeah. I, I, um, I make up the I've seen more than one of your videos of hanging on to trees there, where you, you know, <laughs> you move going up and down cliffs. Some of that silly stuff. Yeah, it, it yeah, still yeah. shows pretty steep where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. So fitness is one thing that people say they are, and, and then and like they realise that I'm another level of fitness on top of that. Um, and I don't. I'm not a gym junkie or anything like that. I don't. I don't sort of do much. I do a little bit of mountain biking on the off season, but um, it's bush fit. It's the only way to get fit properly for hunting. It's carrying that weight. If anything, I do do a little bit of carrying my backpack up the bush along four-wheel drive tracks that have got some good inclines and stuff. But um, that's only when I've got time, and usually I don't have time. So I just usually break myself in in the first few hunts and uh, going regularly. I think I spent 70 days in the bush last year, so 450 k's on the boots last year, just in the one year. Um, so it's a lot of, a lot of walking. So you just get uh, mentally fit is another thing. Um, you know, I know that the top of the hill is not that far away, but the clients don't. So it's a bit of a mental game sometimes on the way out, where you just sort of got to pump the tires up a little bit. And, uh, you know, give them a little rest when they need to, but then push them when you have to. And uh, it's been a good experience that way, is dealing with uh, people's mental states a little bit. And um, I've been broken myself in the bush, and I've had a guide push me, and I didn't realise what he was doing until I was home. And years later, I went, "My God, that guy! That guy got me out of there mm. without having to, you know, call for a chopper." <laughs> So I've learnt from that and I use it myself. So, um, But, yeah, fitness, um, people tell me that they're big eaters is another big one. So they, I supply the food so that I know that they've got enough on a backpack and they haven't got too much, but they always, these big eaters, load up their pack with all this food and on the last morning where we normally have breakfast and have a bit of a pack up, 
we're looking at this big shopping bag full of food that they haven't eaten. And I'm like, I thought you told me you're a big eater. And they're like, I normally am when I'm at work or at home. And I said, that's because you're bored. And you're yeah. like, yeah. oh, I'm going to eat this and I'm going to eat this. I said, you're, you're up the bush here and, and all you're concentrating on is looking for a deer or, or yeah. learning and listening to me. And, um, you don't get time to eat and you don't, but you don't feel hungry at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, of course, if at the end of the in evening you've got to prepare it too, if you're used to kind of everything being prepared for you or very easily prepared, mm. you just kind of go, I just can't be bothered. You know, that's yeah, it. yeah. Um, yeah, so they're the main main couple of things, but mm. most people so, are pretty honest, which is good. One of the things we asked uh, a couple of other guests at Victoria-based is that if you're coming down from Queensland, because one of the questions we get asked, or we get not, not more than once, but, you know, how do I start? So someone goes, I've, I've bought some stuff, I've got some stuff, I've got even got the R licence or I've got a place to go, but my confidence is just, you know, there's too yeah. many unknowns for me to go forward. Yeah. So if you had someone contact you from Queensland, what what would be kind of your advice for them to get down, even if they weren't going to come to see you? Yeah. You know, how would they get that enough information to give it a, to give it a go? Yeah, so that's a hard one because most people are pretty tight-lipped about areas where to go. Yeah. Um, I'm not, believe it or not, I'm pretty open about giving away not – like I wouldn't say I give away my A-grade spots, but I give away my A-minus spots, you know what I mean? Like, sure. um, Because the way I look at it, there's other, um, I haven't got any spots that aren't getting hunted by someone else. Um, I've got some spots that are rarely hunted by other people, but it's more because of the remoteness of it rather than uh, anything else. So there's plenty of spots that I know there's plenty of deer, but there's also plenty of hunters so what's a couple more hunters? And if someone's mm-hmm. contacted me all the way from Queensland, how regularly are you going to hunt it? So it's not really going to put a massive amount of extra hunting pressure on it. So I'm pretty open with that sort of stuff. Um, and also with within my Patreon um, platform that I've got now, which you know is YouTube support and all the rest of it, I've created a tier in there which is available to three people at any one time which is called the mentor tier um, and you sign up to that tier and that gives you my phone number, email address and basically I ring you straight away and we talk about what you want to achieve and some of these people are in a status. They say, hey, look, I want to come down to Victoria, uh, I want to go backpack hunting, rah, rah, rah. And within that tier, I just I give you a spot, literally like a, a pin on a Google map I give you the position of wallows, um, areas to glass, places to camp, where to park your car, where to walk in, how long it's going to take, where you can get water, um, all the rest of it. And um, so that's that's a good way. That's yeah. just through me. Um, it's two hundred fifty dollars a month, which might sound like a lot of if you spend if you take it for a full year. But I've only had one client go past one month. Um, so, you know, 250 bucks gets you an area, gets you all the knowledge that you need. And within that month, you could hunt that area and I encourage you to ring me and say, hey, how'd you go? And, you know, you might be able to say, oh, yeah, look, 
I went into where you said, but there was no sign there. And uh, so I went up here, but I couldn't, and I can talk you through it because these are areas that I know intimately and I can sort of say, yeah, well, this is where you went wrong or whatever, or this is what I think you should have done otherwise. I've had, I think, four clients take that up, um, two have shot deer, one came all the way from, I think it was Newcastle, came down, shot his first sand behind, um, and I had another young bloke come down, he shot two samba stags, so um, they were both wrapped. But getting back to the question, because that's probably a bit off topic. Um, that's a great service though, man. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm trying to think awesome. of multiple ways to, to help people, because not everyone can come down and go one-on-one with me. Um, yeah. Not everyone can get down to a group course, so that's why I developed the online course. Um, that, that's a that's a great thing too. Like it's, um, I think there's 16 modules in that, and it goes right through. Um, you know, shot placement, caping, butchering, uh, finding sign, finding areas. It, uh, you know, rattle. I could rattle them all off, but it's mm-hmm. it's from start to finish. Um, if you buy that course and get to the end of it and you haven't learnt something, then I, I think you need to read it again because I've got <laughs> I've got one uh, presentation in there that was just tips and tricks and it's, you know, a full bloody um, PDF of just all these little thoughts that popped into my head when I wrote tips and tricks. I'm like, oh, you need to know this and this and that. And these are all things that you don't ever read in a book. This is stuff you learn after 25 years of hunting Samba. Mm. Um, so... With online course, group course, you can't get there. But if the worst, the, the worst thing is is picking a spot because we've got such a large area. How do you pick a spot? And yeah, there, so there is there is no easy way. There's yeah. no magic answer. Um, and finding areas to hunt and good areas to hunt. Like I've I've got 25 years of hunting these things. An hour up the road, like. An hour, I'm, I'm backpacking. Two hours, I'm, you know, I'm on the other side. So I've hunted hundreds of spots and I've got probably five good ones. So for you to come down to Queensland looking at a map and going, I'm going there, it's like throwing a dart into the dark. You don't know where it's going to land. and But you've got to just learn from that first experience, I suppose. Without local knowledge... It'd be the same as me coming up there looking for a red deer. The best thing I could do was probably sit on a hill and listen. Can't do that with Samba. You've got to physically look for them. Mm. Um, and there's no shortcuts. Um, yeah. I, it's If you're going to go alone from interstate into Victoria with no background knowledge of an area, I'd say the first few trips you do are going to be either bankrupt or, you know, you're going to bust because you're not going to know where to go. There's too much area and there's so much crap amongst the good stuff that um, you'd be very lucky to, to pin, put your pin on a really good spot. So it's it's not something that's going to happen easily without some sort of background knowledge from, from locals. Yeah. Zeb, um, are they... Are they fair statements to be made for a Queenslander coming down that is trying to chase a stag? Because that would be different comments for, mm. you know, if you just wanted to shoot your first Samba and you wanted yeah. to chase a hind, yep. they're different answers though, wouldn't they? So, if like, shooting a hind in state forest or, you know, public land 
for someone that's never, I maybe never hunted a samba. So, you know, you haven't got the skill set. You, you know, you can hunt red and fallow as much as you like. They don't really, they're not, they're not apples and apples. And no. like even reds and fallows aren't apples and apples, but they're no, closer. No, at all. But not they're all. closer. Samba are completely different again. And it's basically because of the terrain. You know, like the terrain is so much harder. Um, so to shoot even a sand behind is still a trophy um, mm. for someone that's coming from Queensland that doesn't have... Like if I showed you a map, how, how are you going to pick a spot? Now, I could show you one particular map where you could throw a dartboard at it and you will find your sign. But is it going to be a good spot? Probably not. Because um, mm. the good spots are few and far between. The time of year that you go to some of these spots can make the difference between seeing several deer and seeing none. Um, like your high plain country is, you know, a classic example of that. But summertime growth where that green pick pops up, up they go. But winter time comes in and down that, and they leave that, that same area. So timing. Um, but... Private property fringe hunting is probably more like hunting reds and fallow because they're attracted to that improved pasture. So it's a whole different ball game, and that's basically why I don't hunt farm fringes because it's not a challenge. That's not the Samba challenge for me. Samba challenge is forest deer where you're uh, in remote areas and the deer are doing what do you do. They're not influenced by like, agricultural land or... Um, that sort of thing. But I've done a lot of it, don't get me wrong, and I've shot a lot of big deer doing it, but it's a great way to get meat because usually there's a, a, a bigger population of deer close to the fringe. Um, but I just got sick of farm fringe being poached um, mm. and um, and then when they legalised spotlighting, like, it just all changed for me and I just give up on it. And basically now if I hunt for myself, I go backpacking. Did you not do any, any private land stuff now? Is it, is it all public? Oh, look, I, I, I've still got access to a lot of private land, but unless I'm looking for meat where I can shoot it in the paddock and then literally I'm not even hunting, I just would go there in a spotlight. So mm. um, Because I'm just basically collection. going, to the, mm. I'm going to the supermarket to, to mm. get a, a meat animal and I can pick the animal size and, and where it is. So that's an easy uh, extraction, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I keep my trophy hunting and the adventure side of it to backpacking where, you know, I go hunting all year and shoot one or two deer if I'm lucky. But, uh, I just don't pull the trigger on, on everything. Um, fairly selective. A long way to walk it out, right? Yeah. yeah. But right. it's hard It's Sorry. hard for the interstater to do it in a trip. Um, it, it's going to take multiple trips without any sort of background hey, go to this spot, I was there last year and just flew there. I know this yeah. bloke, you can take you out for a look or something. Mm. So I can I can agree to that. My first trip down there, uh, we, we bought a, a club down there. Pretty much none of us had any experience with it. We just wanted to have a go. Uh, one of the fellas that came with us um, was brought up in Victoria, but he left it a long time ago. So we had some basics and some fundamentals and he'd chase them around as a young fella, but it had been quite some time and we ended up going in and um, look on my very first day on my very first walk I walked up a ridge and bumped straight into a big black samba stag 
um, mm. and I wasn't ready for it. It freaked me yep. out completely. It stood right up in front of me, ten meters away, then stopped down behind it, uh, behind a tree, and, and off it went. And I just stood there dumbfounded by the size and uh, you know yep. the color of it, the whole thing. Uh, and I would have seen four or five deer over that trip, but not one of them was I in a position to be able to shoot that that seen yep. me or heard me before I got on them. So I, I got pretty common. well. I, I, I firmly imprinted in my brain as the back end of a samba as they yeah, off up yeah, the hill the and, and, and it was a really it was a really productive little system that we were in and it was great uh we went back there next year nothing it had been we found yeah. out later on it had been wiped out by by um yeah, professional shooters yeah. and we jumped to jumped the valley about um three quarters of the way through the trip and into another river system and all of a sudden we were onto them again um so yeah, that local yeah. knowledge was so important like you say yeah and here i am after two trips i haven't taken one i've seen plenty but i've Never been in yeah. a position to really take one, so um, mm. I'm looking forward to getting back and doing it again. But it's 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 spot on advice, that's for sure. Yeah, I think that's. So, what's probably... the duration of a normal backpack hunt? What what are you with, with your taking clients out, or you you know you're doing your courses? What's yeah. the, what is it? Three, a three day or a five day? Or three, three day days? backpack is about all everyone can handle. Any yeah. longer, any longer, we've got to change our hunting system. So you go from actively looking to do a lot more sit glass because you've got to uh-huh. conserve, you've got to conserve their feet. Usually, um, mm. I've I've got a good mate that was that I hunted with in Queensland for the Reds, and he's now over in WA. And every time he uh, the first time he came, he goes, I "Want to come over? I want to do nine days?" And I'm like, "I've never done nine days. I've done five, and I was worn out." Um, We'll just do four, and he was actually disappointed with me because he was making this big effort to come down here mm-hmm. um, for four days of hunting. And I said, "Look, we'll do four. We'll come out, we'll freshen up, have a day at home, and if you want to go back, we'll go back for another three or four. Um, we did four, and he was done. Um, it's if you're not used to the country, this big. I'm hunting big country, steep. Um, you can hunt farm fringe, and I'm sure you can hunt it for nine days in a row, no dramas, and you'd be hunting them very similar to like a, a red or a fallow. Um, but when you're backpacking or pushing back into this bigger country, you've got to be super fit to be able to do multiple days. And when I do a day hunt, I leave before daylight and I'm back after dark. Like I don't come back to camp for a siesta and a, and a good feed and all the rest of it. I'm out there because you don't have the daylight in winter to be bothered. Like it's it's a wasted. I, I don't like waste my walking. So I don't like to. I like to do hunts that encompass all new areas the whole day. So I like to go like this. I don't like to go up and back because I figure I've already hunted that. I don't need to be walking back through it. It, um, it gives you more chance of running into a stag or, or what you're looking mm-hmm. for if you're covering new fresh country. Um, so yeah, backpack is three days. Um, I I will extend it, but like I said, you'll have to change the system that you use, and it'll be more looking for vantage points and glassing a lot more, so that you're conserving your energy. Um, so that's two nights basically. That'd be yeah. We normally go in the night before. Um, oh, okay. You go in yeah. and so you, get, so so you, you get start three in knots. there. Yeah. yeah. So what I was doing last year was uh, walking in in the dark, and what I found was that was better. So clients didn't see where they were going, um, not to hide the spot, so that they didn't realise how far in 
or steep and, and down because when it's dark, you're limited to, you know, 20 or 30 yards of headlight. Yeah. And when they get up in the morning, they're like, whoa, like, what? Where, where did we come down? I'm like, oh, through there. We've got to go back up there. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about that until two days from now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, but the group courses that I will be running, that'll be over two days, but also, you, um, so it's over a weekend. I'll meet and greet you on a Friday afternoon um, and then it'll be two or really a full day and then a half a day on the Sunday um, and that should be enough to get the basics across there. Okay. So, look, we, we, a lot of people we, we, we speak to, uh, you know, are really starting from fresh. So what, what's my Samba kit look like? Yeah. So what, what's what's that kit look like? So, lightweight. Um, because it's steep, you don't want to be carting around weight that it's not necessary. Uh, water, so you need a big bladder of water. I like to carry three litres of water, so that's where my weight is, is in the water, mm-hmm. because a lot of the time I'm hunting high and away from the river. Uh, I think a lot of the new, new hunters start around the creeks and the rivers because that's where they see the sign. Mm. And I've even had blokes message me and say, oh, look at all this sign. And they're showing me, you know, uh, you know, video footage of all these game trails and all this, you know, poo on the ground and rubs. I'm like, it looks like the creek flats, mate. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I've been waiting here all day and I haven't seen a thing. <laughs> it's because they're up the hill bedded down and watching you. Um, <laughs> so, you've, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm up the hill. With... That's funny, man. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, so lightweight, I basically carry uh, not much. Like I'm really you're really an ultra light guy, right? Half your videos uh, are about ultra light, ultra light kit. I've learnt that, yeah. Uh, although you can carry heavier, it slows you down so much. And my style of hunting is like, like I said, if I'm hunting for myself, I'm backpacking. So I don't like to camp at a specific place now for myself. I camp wherever I finish for the day, whether that's in a comfortable spot or not, that's just where I stop. I usually find something decent, but I've had some pretty interesting sleeps on the side of the hill with rocks on the low side so I don't roll down off the hill um, or up against the tree or, you know what I mean, like curled up in a ball because it's the only flat spot I've got the size of a deer bed. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I carry water. A bone saw to lighten the load. If I shoot a stag, I can cut the cut the skull down. Um, I only ever carry scalpels, um, scalpel oh, blades. Can. Yep. So it's lighter wow. again. Um, obviously, some matches and some fire lighter as an emergency. Always carry a PLB emergency beacon. That's a must. Um, what else is in what there? Cooking, what cooking out. gear are you saying? You're saying oh, you're carrying yeah, a bit so of fire lighting stuff, but are you jet boiling or are you cooking on no, an open flame or I don't cold do a, camping? I don't, I don't. I do a little bit of everything. I don't carry a jet boil because they're too heavy. I've mm. got a BRS 3000, which is like this tiny little uh, titanium cooker that weighs 25 grams, but it's got a, a really good output and will cook quickly boil water um titanium pot 550 mil the gas a little 100 gram gas bottle fits perfectly inside it i don't bring the lid um 
gauntlet. Anything that I, it's not going to help me kill a deer, I don't bring it. Um, uh, what? But I only carry that if I'm backpacking. So, but if I was just hunting for the day from the camp, it would literally be like a knife, some game bags, some water, some food. That's about it. But it's, it's you got to have room for the meat, I suppose. But I don't carry, I don't have a GPS. I basically use my phone with the Venza mapping. Um, if I'm not using that, I've got I, I upload Google uh, before I get to out of reception and I use that as well. Um, but I've been in the bush so often and I generally hunt similar areas that it's all up in here. And, um, I don't find myself actually having to look at a map unless it's dark and I'm trying to make my way back to camp or something like that. Mm. Um, I think, and I think that's something you can't learn without being in the bush a lot on your own is to have that confidence, like, in the dark to be able to navigate through that sort of terrain back to camp. Like it can be a stressful thing. And I think where a lot of new hunters fall down is they leaving to get back to camp before it gets dark. And that's, they know they've, they've picked up their stuff and they've walked away. And 10 minutes later, the big stage walked out from where they were watching. But, um, yeah, I try not to carry anything that's not helping me. And if I don't use it one trip, it doesn't come the next trip. Mm. Are so you, what um, kind of pack do you carry, sorry? i got a Hyperlite backpack. Um, so there, I brought that out of Katoomba in uh, the Blue Mountains. There's a, a hiking shop there. So it's basically a, um, an ultralight, I don't even know, it's like a Cuban fibre sort of a jobby. Mm. I don't know what the, the, the material is, but it, the backpack itself is 50 litres, I think. 40 litres in a waterproof um sock like a dry bag mm -hmm. and then it's got like a 10 litre pocket on the outside that's open so it's obviously not waterproof but it weighs like 950 grams empty so it's just stupid light but it's um it's basically designed for those ultralight true hikers in the states and that's where i get a lot of my ideas from to be lightweight is from those true through hikers uh in the states because those guys actually cut the end off their toothbrush. And, you know what I mean? Like they, mm. they get their toothpaste and squeeze it out into um, glad wrap and then freeze it and cut it into tiny little portions. And then they, you know, so they're not taking a tube and all this sort of stuff. But I just don't take toothpaste. <laughs> Three days you can go there. Bit of ash. Yeah. I take yeah, a toothbrush yeah. with um, toothpaste jammed in it and you get that's a couple right, of games with it. Just don't wash it after, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of rifle do you carry? Uh, at the moment, I've, I've got a, a Tika 3006 that I brought for clients to borrow. Um, so if you were coming from Queensland or Tasmania, WA, and you wanted to fly down and didn't want to have the hassle of bringing your rifle, I brought that rifle so people could borrow it. And at the moment, that's the only rifle that I've got that's a Sandra calibre. Um, I've got a 300 Win Mag at Gunsmith in Queensland at the moment, getting a new barrel put on it. Um, and that's a Winchester Model 70 Extreme Weather. And that's sitting in a Macmillan Game Hunter stock. So it's sort of going to be a semi-custom jobby by the end. But yeah, 300 Win Mag is probably what I'll be using when I get back to hunting for myself one day. Hmm. So you're finding the 30.06 for um, 
for your customers that are coming down as a suitable calibre? Yeah, well, I did a bit of research and um, apparently the US Army adopted the 36 because they believed it was a, um, a calibre that an inexperienced rifleman could shoot all day long and not form any sort of bad habits. Um, but it was sort of the upper limit of that. And with Samba, I believe big is better. Um, so 3086 uh, with a 180 grain projectile is about what people can handle. And it's also, you know, it's a decent sized calibre that you still got a little bit of punch out to, you know, probably 400 yards or so. And the shots, are they long shots or normally pretty close? I, sh- I shot, I've only shot one deer with this 3006, and that was for a client last year that wasn't confident shooting that distance, and he wanted me to take home, and he goes, if you could shoot that deer, that'd be really good. And so I took a shot, and it was 475 yards, um, yeah, and smoked it one shot. So yeah, it's definitely a full pass for you too, by the way. So it's... Um, with a 178 grain ELDX. Um, mm-hmm. So I was quite impressed, and I think I'm learning because I've always been a big gun sort of a guy for Samba. And this last year, watching deer get shot with 308s and 7 mil 08s and uh, 38.6s, and it's really opened my eyes up that um, maybe the calibre is not as important as I thought it was. And I think I'm probably standing on the old school uh, thinking of. Big, big ball, big bullet, shoot them up the bum as they run through the scrub, sort of. I've, I've still got that mentality, I think. So minimum calibre is 270, correct? 270 with a 130 grainer, yeah. Mm. Yep. And what, what, what's your usual distance? Are you, are you usually at that, that longer range or are you, is, it, is it up close to personal? So I think of all the deer, I had someone ask me the other day because they were talking about a 300 rum and... They wanted, you know, to shoot 230 burgers and all this, and it was only shooting one-inch groups, and he wanted it to shoot better. And I said, how far do you want to shoot to? And he's like, oh, 500 yards. I want to be confident in 500 yards. I said, well, one-inch gun is going to shoot groups like that at 500 yards if you do your Five inches, yeah. That's right. So um, I said to him, like, that's plenty good enough. And, I, and he goes, well, what, have, what about you? Like, what's your longest shot? And I said, well, my longest shot, because I wanted it to be, was 640 yards. My next longest shot was 450. And the next one after that was 360. And then after that, it's like down in the 200s. Um, and I reckon 90% of my deer are shot under 100. Mm. Um, so unless you go looking for long-range hunting, mm. um, you will shoot most of your samba. I'm guessing under 200 yards. So caliber, I think, now that I think about it, caliber's not as important at those ranges if you're, you know, capable of putting that board in the, in that, you know, that that sort of size. Yeah. 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 Big calibers matter at distance. If you don't go shooting a sandwich here at 800 yards with a 308, you go and buy a rum or a 338, something or other, a lap or a or another run or, but if that's if that's what you're going to do you're going to be looking for that range of shots you're yeah not, you know mm-hmm. you're going to build a gun that's capable and but for, my, oh, yeah. say for most of your clients it's, it's that 100 to 200 that's yeah most of my clients say they're comfortable to about 300 but they prefer it to be closer so 
Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm. I'm always aiming. Like we've missed on. We've probably missed opportunities because of that. Um, but the hunting experience is amplified if you try to get closer. So yeah, no one's right. ever gone. Oh, I wish I had to just shot it at 450 and not tried to get in closer. But yeah, it's always a better hunt anyway. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, that that's it, isn't it? Yeah, getting close. And I was going to say, optics-wise, do you have sort of recommendation for, yeah, for people out there? Yeah, so scopes, I, I I believe everyone should really be hunting with a dial-up scope. Um, and I know that might be a, uh, a new thought, but uh, I run VX5s and VX6 Leopolds on my rofts. And um, since I've been using the dial-up, I've realised how inaccurate holdover is when you're trying to take a shot at, you know, um, say three or four hundred metres, you know, on a on a Samba deer, you're with a 306, you're doing backline holds and, and above the back holds at 400 and all this sort of stuff. That's, I don't think you can be accurate enough with your aiming. The rifle might be accurate enough at that distance, but your aiming's not good enough. So when you start doing this dial thing, which was only new to me probably three or four years ago, I started to realise that when you can just put the crosshair exactly where you want to aim because you've dialed to the right distance, your, your group sizes are tiny, right? Um, and it makes you a much more accurate um, rifleman, I think. So mm. I definitely think, and you might say, well, I don't shoot that far out, but uh, there's always going to be that one time where you might be tempted to take that shot or you, you could possibly wound a deer and it moves out further past your comfort zone. And when you start having to lob them in, especially like 3006, is, it's dropping, you know, 20 inches at 400 yards or maybe yeah. even more. If you can dial that, it just takes all that out of it. Um, and you can still keep your ranges into 300 yards, but if you do happen to have an opportunity that where you just can't get closer or, or, you've, or you've got a wounded deer at a distance that, you know, you can just dial it. It's just it's a more accurate way of aiming is what I'm trying to get at. Um, mm. And I Could love the Leopold. The, the VX5, I believe, is a great um, quality for the price. I've got the VX6, and I think if I was going to buy another one, I'd just go VX5 again. Three and a, uh, three to 15 by 44. Um, and, and I love got the, the red dot. Uh, that's must got the have CDL. Um, CDS, yep. Yeah, CDS turrets on them, yep. Yep, so you send away for your, um, mm. your custom dial, which the first yeah. one's free after you've done your load development or you've picked your factory ammo. And I tell you what, I've got, I've got like three or four dollars in the shed and they work perfectly. Um, I was shooting out to 750 yards, just no dramas at all. Um, whereas doing a holdover at that distance, you know, you're going to have to walk your bullets in from, from splash, you know, it's just mm. with a, with a dial up scope, you should expect a first round hit. And when you're hunting, that's what you want, isn't it? You want that first one in the right spot. Um, yeah, so I, I, I love the red dot. So the Leopold have got what they call the fire dot. Um, yep. And for any sort of hunting, I've sort of got to the point where I learnt that the eye picks up the dot a lot quicker than a crosshair. And yep. it actually translates the information subconsciously. Uh, so I've been running a red dot since 2008. Um, like not as in a red dot low power, like a, an illuminated dot 
Uh, yeah, Lumad Red Yeah. So I started with a Schmidt and Bender three to twelve. Zenith was the first one that got introduced to me, and I was just like, "Wow, this is the best thing ever." Uh, especially for moving targets, mm-hmm. it just that dot seems to just fixate on exactly where you want, and and your brain just sets the trigger at, uh, when it sort of floats in that right spot. There's no computing angles. Um, yeah, I just find it much more natural. That's for scopes. Yeah, I, I, look, I actually broke a, a CDL5, so... <laughs> Is that the one of the Pelagon one? Yeah, broke yeah. one, so... Yeah. I had one. My 36, and it was a lovely scope until I broke it, so... Um, and it got repaired, and then... Uh, uh, Never the same. Almost broke it again, so I went, no, nah, we're going to move it on, so... Uh, so what you- I did, because I'm a lefty... Um, and I had it slung on my shoulder. The turret would catch on this on the on this link. Yep. And we were one afternoon. We got on these goats, and I jumped out. And I went, "Hang on, that's mm. not right." No. Missing. So we um so literally we had to once the other guys shot at the goats and got them on the ground. We had to um uh, line them up on a tree for for a hundred, get it right, and I taped it. Uh-huh. taped it together and that was it. It worked. So yep. did a had a big shot a heap of a mob a few days later but it was all tap gap tape up so the turret tore off unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey Zeb, another question for you. Um a lot of gear, clothing gear, um, you know, jackets, warm gear, thermals, all of that sort of stuff on the market nowadays compared to probably what there was ten years ago. Yep. Um, what have you seen? You would have seen it all now. What? And this is not a brand bashing exercise, but um, I'm interested in, in what lasts the distance. What what gear should people be looking at? What's your recommendation on what sort of lasts in that country up there? Or is it all much the yeah. same? No, it's not the same. Um, so I started out with Stony Creek and Hunt Tech, and that was all good back in the day. And... Um, my biggest problem is being six foot four. I've got long arms and long legs, and none of these guys supplied a tall size. So I was actually getting my grandmother to sew about six inches into the the cuff of my pants so that you know the, the dirt wasn't going in the top of my boots and that sort of thing, and putting up with you know my, my shirt stopping here and all this sort of stuff. So when I um, found Sitka gear, did tall sizes. I went to Sitka Gear and splashed a heap of cash over there, and um, I've been running that gear for about four years now, and um, it's expensive as hell, but it is top quality gear. Um, I've seen clients with Guyu Gear, which is similar quality, and it's actually, I think, designed by the same guy. Uh, he crossed over from Sitka to start Guyu, so very similar quality. Um, the the garments that we got nowadays are so lightweight but still warm. It's got these great little insulation layers in them, so that and they compact to tiny little. You know, if you're not wearing it, it's not taking up bulk out of your backpack if you're not wearing it. Um, so, but I think everything's got its price point, hasn't it? Like there's some other gear that's a lot cheaper that's probably not going to last as long or be as good. But if you're on a budget. I think it's all pretty good. I don't think these days there's any really bad stuff anymore. I think everyone's quality's 
you know, at least midway. I think then there's a couple of brands that I mentioned that are just another step ahead, but you do pay probably two yeah. or three times the price. You know what I mean? So like, your your cheaper stuff is is gonna it's, it's not gonna kill you, but you're not gonna use it next year. Uh, it's probably oh look, and it all depends on you. Got to remember, I'm, I'm I'm hunting regularly. Even when I wasn't guiding, I was hunting regularly, and I hunt yeah. pretty rough terrain as well. So. The average guy probably only hunts maybe three or four times a year. The cheaper stuff's probably going to last him longer than than my expensive gear because I'm in the bush more often. Um, if you're going to be in the bush as often as me, you're not even going to you're not even going to blink at Sitka's prices because you know the gear's going to last you. Um, you know what I mean? Like you buy once, cry once, sort of thing. Um, and that's the case with Sitka gear and, and those top brands is. Um, the quality is, is there, so it's justified in the price. Could be cheaper. Foot, footwear and boots? Footwear must be, uh, well, look, I don't want to say just European, but European leather boots is where the benchmark is. Um, so Zambaland, Lower, um, I think Crispy might be made in the US now. I don't know. Yeah, but, okay. Yeah, so. so if you're looking at those, that uh, Mendel, um, you can't go wrong. When you start dropping down into those more sort of synthetic sort of style, high techs or, you know, expect if you're going to be hunting regularly, they're, they're just going to wear out. Um, yeah. I learnt a long time ago that good quality boots are probably the first thing you need to invest in when you're hunting Samba. Um, so when I was 17, I think I brought a $550 pair of Mendels and... Um, yeah, I think I got 15 years out of those boots before I threw them in the bin. I resold them at one stage, so I literally wore the sole off them. The rest of them were still good, um, to the point where I brought another pair, and I think they were seven years old because sort of my hunting was increasing. Obviously, um, they were seven years old before I retired them, and I've still got them in the cupboard. I could wear them tomorrow, um, but now I wear lower. Um, Lower Tibets is what I've got at the moment. So I'm on my second pair of them. And mm. um, 450Ks in the bush last year, and they're still good for this year. The only thing that's going to happen to them is they're going to round off the edges on the soles and, and they're going to become, um, you know, less uh, grippy. And But the leather and everything's just top-notch. You can't. And the Gore-Tex lining too. You must have waterproof boots in Victoria. Um, you can't have wet boots on a cold winter's morning, otherwise you just, yeah, you're not going to have fun. Mm. So I'd start with quality yeah, I think boots. The, I think one of the things that, you know, it's it's what you've been saying all the way through is that for most of us, you know, well, what we deal with is heat. Yeah. So it's, a, you know, Wedding, it's, yeah. it's not particularly, it's not, hilly, it's not, it's hilly, but it's not, yeah mountainous no. and so the challenge for us is heat you know how to mm. how to manage heat and, you know? <laughs> and yeah that constant that's what yeah. it's, it's 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 the it's a scratchy shitty stuff like that how do you manage heat um you're talking about really a, a holy you know and a, a, a whole different i suppose it's not next level up but it's a whole it's a whole different wheel spinning in terms of, of what you're looking at so you know and there's those crossover brands but for most people you could 
probably get away with it once or twice, but if it was going to yeah. be your thing, yeah. you'd have to really consider what kind of investment you want to make yeah. and how much and where you want to start. And, I mean, Boots is always a, a pretty good place to go. So I, I've literally just gone to lower since yep. from Zambaland, but I've gone the other way. I've gone synthetics and right, that okay. stuff yep. because I've, all, I've always had really heavy leather mm-hmm. boots, but... Yeah. On the territory trip, I was advised to go synthetics because uh, yeah. it's completely different again. Oh, and yeah. I went a pair of one synthetics, and I was so and I wear them up here in, in Queensland. So impressed with them, um, mm. but they're the, I got the ones that weren't lined, so they they yeah. can't handle water. You know, yeah, they are yeah. a dry weather boot. Yeah. So I bought the Z sixes as a, as a right. wet weather version, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so and that's just simply reflective of the kind of terrain, terrain that's going on. Right. But I think that's a really important point you're saying is that not only is it the the kind of what you expect, but also how often you're doing it. You know, you, you, mm. as you said you're 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 out there a number of days yeah. a year. I can't you have you to be at. Mm. Yeah, you no. need your gear to be at a very very high level, and. Mm. Um, Obviously, so there's an investment there to be made, but I suppose it's the balance of what that investment is. Yeah. And even before that, like, this is my hobby. I don't mm. have a boat. I don't go fishing. Like, I go trout fishing. You know, I'll, go, I'll jump in a boat with a mate at once or twice a year at the most. I don't, you know, look, this is what I do. So, you know, if you're a, yeah. a, a golf player, you, you get a good set of golf clubs that are custom made to your height and all the rest of it, and you have a caddy yeah. or, a, or a car, you know, like, um it depends on the level of commitment that you're, you're going into. Like, I'm at the level where I buy the best gear, um, and usually it's the most expensive, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, well. if I buy the cheaper stuff, I end up buying it again. Yeah. And I've I mean, been look, there when I was younger. So. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I started with army disposal stuff. That's where yeah. I started because that's all I could afford. You know, yeah. I remember the first sleeping bag I bought. A proper sleeping bag. I bought. I bought it was eighteen, and you know, like literally, I had that thing for over twenty five years until those goose, those goose down feathers. But you know, that it was just a, so they went, like, like a ball. You know, how hard, how many, you know, how you try to roll it out flat? It just, no. just, just had gone to you sleep. they gone back to being like a goose again. So that's it. So I mean, that I think that's a really important point. It's mm-hmm. about what kind of um. Not only what, what you're being exposed to, but the frequency of your exposure yeah. and what, what do you expect out of it. You know, most people, if they went down and did a three- to four-day hunt out of a backpack and, you know, saw a couple of deer and had some, an opportunity that they regard that as something very special, whereas yeah. you're probably not even, you know, you still sleep for those four days before, compared to most people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, footwear, I found, was the biggest thing. Um, for clients to complain about after day one. So if they didn't have good quality footwear, they mm. weren't hunting the second day. Like they were blistered up, they were sore, they had hot marks on their feet. Um, so I saw some horrendous blisters that just make you cringe. <laughs> and it's purely just because of the quality of the boot. But also um, your feet, if, if you're not used to the terrain, your feet aren't tough. Like I've got calluses on my feet that, like that are bad. Like, but that's why I don't get blisters. It's because my t- feet are tough. Um, yeah. And so if you're only hunting irregularly, and you have a 
you only hunt every so often and then you have poor quality footwear, you come for a hunt with me, you're going to go home with some scars. Mm. Hey, uh, Zeb, got another sideways question for you. Uh, you went through all of the light backpacking bits and pieces. You've, yep. you know, you've really cut away all of the gear and then you decided you wanted to video. So you've just <laughs> added all of that weight back in with camera so, gear. Um, so was, that the comp- yeah. was that how you compensated or, or, or yeah, what was the deal? Hey, tell us a bit about that journey, if you don't mind, um, for the budding YouTube, uh, you know, recorder, someone that's putting their gear out there. Um, yeah. What are the gotchas that you've come across and, and gear that you use there? So, yeah, so it's uh, oxy, is it called an oxymoron where you try to be lightweight and then you carry a kilo worth of camera and a kilo worth of um, carbon fly tripod just to video. Batteries, um, iPads, more batteries. Yeah, got yeah it. so I keep it pretty simple. Basically, it's a Nikon P950 camera and oh, yeah. a, um, I think it's a Suri uh, carbon fiber um, tripod. So I double the tripod as a shooting stick if I have to. It's got a, I can put a yoke on the top of it for a bit, long, a bit more of a steady rest. Um, but then everything else is filmed on my Samsung. So I don't carry oh, a yeah. GoPro or spare batteries or anything like that. Um, definitely no laptop. But when I did go to that ultralight setup, it was to drop weight so I could carry weight. So I dropped three and a half kilos out of my sleep system and backpack just so I could carry two kilos of camera gear and tripod. Yeah, um, thought you might say that. But that's, for, yeah, so, you know, you see some of these guys that are doing these other YouTube videos and they've got drones and GoPros and they're just taking it to a whole other level of, um, you know, experience, I suppose, for the viewer. But I've found that with the, you know, the camera that's in these, S, what's this, an S22 or whatever, um, is exceptional. And, and then all my live gear footage is done on the Nikon. So that's got the big zoom to drag in. So, you know, you might be looking at a, a full frame of a deer, but it's at 400 yards for me. So, um, yeah, that's where the, my quality of my videos really jumped up from uh, phone scoping. So I was had a phone scope set up onto my binos. Um, yeah. So 10 power. And then, you know, once I brought that Nikon and I had 83 power optical zoom, it just, you know, I think it brought my uh, videos up another notch. Um, They're heavy, though. Progressed right? a lot. Yeah. Kilo. Kilo. They're a big camera. Mm. They're a big yeah, camera. Yeah, camera. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're a big body camera, too. They are, yeah. But it's yeah. got the stabilisation in it. It's got the zoom that I yeah. needed. Um, it's got good battery life. Um, and if you're going to do it... You got to get the good quality footage, um, otherwise you're just going to end up with, you know, there's a bunch of other blokes on YouTube doing the same thing I'm doing, but you know, if they haven't got the good gear, you can really see the quality difference. I think once you, um, and you got to mount it on a tripod, otherwise it doesn't, it's not steady enough, and yeah. all the rest of it. So once you get yeah. high optics, yeah, I got a, I got a three camera rig, and it's just, 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 you just. just you just get yourself ready for a day hunt and then you just go, okay, now I've got to load all this stuff in there and it's just, yeah. just wait. It's, that's yeah. all there is to it. Yeah. That's it. Try to keep it to a minimum. No, no, fair enough. I have uh, one other question. I'm sure the other guys have got some as well, but I'm monopolising the questions at the moment. Um, you must have a, I call it a proud dad moment, but it's a proud customer moment. Um, this one 
springs to mind. You can if you can see it. She's won she's won the award in this uh, Wild Deer magazine uh, best story of 2023, guided by Zeb. That's a that's yeah. a front page article of the work that you're doing. So a hell of a testament to the effort that's gone yeah. into it. Um, yeah. Got to be a pretty cool thing to see in a magazine. You maybe you don't subscribe to it and didn't even know it was there. I don't know, yeah. but she's yeah, picked oh, up I a nice swazi jacket <laughs> off you. Oh, have you seen what she won this week? She won no. a guided a guided tar hunt with Chris McCarthy uh, over in New Zealand worth eleven and a half thousand dollars. Well, we yeah, for, um, I think it was story of the year or something. Is that right? Yeah, I noticed mm-hmm. it was. Um, uh, yeah, well, it was story of the year, and then they pointed me to this article, which I just happened to have on the shelf there while we we're talking, so I dragged it down for another look. But, yeah. Um, yeah no, she, that's a pretty cool amazing. moment. Yeah, that's a pretty cool moment. Is that to share. Um, unbelievable hunt, that one. Right, so first, that was my first client. Um, oh, really? Like, really? I, couldn't, nice. I couldn't have scripted it any better. It was just exactly what she wanted, and uh, it all worked out. There wasn't one thing, wasn't one leaf out of place on that whole hunt. It was yeah, incredible. That's awesome. Well done. So, mm. what's a good time of year? So, I mean, you've got again, you know, people are going to be listening to this and thinking, okay, I'm going to have a yeah. crack at this. Or I'm going to. So, what's a good time of year? Well, bring your winter woolies. Uh, end of July, start of August. After okay. a big, big snow dump. That's that's when I want to. I want to be in the bush. After that snow dump, so in the snow, big tip. Uh, no, not in the snow, below the snow, but the, the snow drives them down off the top. Oh, okay, so yeah, that, that cold weather. Um, you imagine having you know the whole hill as available for the deer to live on, and then all of a sudden, a third of it gets covered in a meter of snow. All those deer have to go somewhere, so mm-hmm. they generally trickle down into the to the valleys and, and just bump up the deer numbers in those valleys that are underneath the snow line. So, um, and how long is it that, well, obviously that snow doesn't last so long, but how long would you, how far into the year would you go before you'd say, look, it's probably not worth your while coming down? Or is it a, is it a, is it a, is it a full year type of thing? Samba, obviously you can hunt them in state forests all year round. Yeah. Um, National Park, it gets shut down on the 15th of December to the 15th of February. Um, okay. I generally don't hunt in the warmer months because it's so hard work. We can't carry enough water. Um, snakes, obviously. Um, it's just hard, hot, sweaty work. And if you do shoot something, you've got no time to get it out. Um, you know, yeah. if, you, if you shoot. So, and when's it, when? When is that? When? When? So, when are you? When are you thinking? When do you kind of draw the line so on that? I hunted right into. I know each year is going to be. Yeah, so I hunted clients through to the end of November last year, and that was too long for oh, me. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, too long. Um, the, the biggest thing at that time of the year is the length of the day. So you're hunting at 5.30 in the morning, and you're finished by 8.30, and then you're hanging around to 7.30 to go hunting again because the middle part of the day is too hot to walk around in, and uh, it's unproductive. Mm, yeah. The deer at that time of year have got all the spring feed, so... What I found is, and this is something that I learnt this year, um, spending so much time in the bush, I actually learned a lot for myself, was um, that later part of the year, the feed has got, and this is just my, my you know, it's not scientific or anything, but it's, it's my understanding that the deer had um, 
more nutritious feed at that time of year, so they didn't have to feed for as long to get what they needed. So although the days oh, are yeah. long, although the days are longer and the nights are shorter, you would assume they'd be having the feed more in the daylight, but they weren't. They're were actually bedding up quite early in the morning, and I believe it was because the amount of feed that they had available to them and the quality of it, they didn't have to search for it, and they could just each mouthful was just heaps of good nutritious food. So then they were having to bed down earlier so, so they could ruminate. Mm, so I found... So really... Sorry, mate. It's, it, it's just the, the hunting was short-lived in the morning and, 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 and shorter in the afternoon, and then you had this eight-hour gap in the middle, which was just fishing or sitting around in camp. Uh, so I prefer the cooler months. So what, um, if, so what's that, October, that really is... Yeah. After that, no. Well, it's still good hunting. It's just uh, there's a lot of downtime. So yeah. for me, with a client, you know, you're paying to, to hunt, to, to sit in camp for five or six hours. But to me, it feels like I'm wasting their time a little bit. So mm-hmm. where it's still good hunting, but it's just it's condensed oh, about those couple of hours. And, and it's yeah. like whereas in winter, in August, July, August, June even, but like July and August, we will hunt all hours of daylight and expect to see deer at every hour of the day, apart from maybe 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, you know what I mean, where you can sort of sit down, have lunch, have a bit of a break, but be somewhere set up for 3 o'clock onwards, we're going to start seeing deer out feeding again. And don't and get what, and so Not quite understanding, you know, not having that much experience with the, the way the heat comes up, so around September, October, really you're losing that, and it's becoming more of a morning and afternoon type thing. Yeah. So, and that's more to do with the feed that's available to the yeah. deer. September's a great time still. Uh, the deer are rutting still a little bit, um, and the stags are very active into October as well. But once you sort of push into November, the, basically all the rutting activities finish. The stags sort of go off solitary and start the feed back up after the rut. Very similar to your red deer with bachelor groups. Oh, okay, so yeah. I do do a similar. Sometimes they'll be in small groups, but I'm talking two or three to you, not five or yeah. six or ten or anything like that. So maybe a big stag with a younger stag or a couple of um, similar-sized stags together. But um, that sort of happens from about November onwards. But it's also area-specific, so you can go higher elevation and it will be a different time of year where that happens. But um, where I hunt, basically, yeah, they're rutting in around that July, August, and then... Um, through to September, you still get rut activity left over from the main rut, mm. drifting off into um, October, November, where the stags separate from the hinds. Okay. Mm. That's good. But that's so, good yeah, in, in, into very early spring, into very Yeah, early. that's great hunting. Up, up into October, I think, sort of, if you had to pick a month, I would say. Oh, it's more the fact, you know, for guys who got, you know, the thing about yeah. what kind of, if they were thinking about it, do it, then, you know, they're going to want to know a spread they might be yeah. doing. They, they might be yeah. chasing reds in, in March April, and they might be no, heading down yeah. to, you know, New South Wales for April for fallow. Mm-hmm. What kind of calendar and points so from, from May and onwards. For, for the Queenslander, we can't sit around and wait for that dump of snow to happen, you know. We've probably no. planned it six months out, so you're really trying exactly. to take yeah. your time. Yep. That's yeah. it. So having that. So, yeah. So some of my best hunting, and, and I've been doing some presentations at ADAs and all the rest of it. And one of the big questions is like, when is the best time to hunt? And for me, if I see a weather front coming, I'm getting excited. Um, 
oh, I want that really cold westerly wind with low snow, like down to five, six hundred metres. Um, that cold snap just pushes the deer into hibernation for that period of time so they can uh, get out of the weather. And once that breaks, if you can be in the bush when that weather breaks, it's just magic, magic mm-hmm. honey. It's, it's, it's almost as good as getting up in the morning and all the bucks or all the, all the stages are roaring. If you can get in the bush with Samba after that big snow dump or that big cold front, the honey's as, as good as sort of that sort of right activity. Okay. Storm chasing. Yeah. All right. Um, any other question, guys, or we, we might call a wrap? Yeah, I had a quick no, one. Just, I think. You, a... um, have you seen much impact from the, the choppers up, up that way? Is it a lot of yeah. culling or...? Yeah, it's good. So it's, um, it hasn't affected my areas that I hunt yet, but it's going to. Um, it's definitely a thing that they're not going to let go, and uh, I think they're, um, they're only going to increase the culling. Um, so we, I don't know, yeah, what's, it's never going to stop, I don't think now, so we're just going to have to live with it, unfortunately. And, and I think it's probably going to impact a lot of people that, uh, you know, because we have had seen that growth of numbers of deer and people have had this misconception that the deer must be, like, if they see 20 deer on a farm thing, so you go, they must, they wonder, wow, imagine how many deer are back in the forest. Yeah. Well, there isn't any more deer back in the forest. Like, I've hunted the one spot for 25 years and the numbers have, have actually levelled. So I've never seen them up. I've seen them down because of bushfires, but I've never seen them. I've never walked into this spot and just gone, Oh my God! They're everywhere. It's it's always been a fairly consistent population, and I think that's what forest deer do: is they naturally they 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 just naturally hold their populations. And there's a strong population of wild dogs here, or dingoes as well. So I think the the predatory you know balances out with the hunting pressure as well. Whereas the farm fringe tends to back up and get um, a lot more volume of deer there. That's probably where the culls really need to happen, but they tend to be picking on our spots where they can get some easy numbers, I think, and I think that's purely number number grabbing for the government to be able to say, hey, look, this is a success. I don't know, but I don't see it going away, and I see it becoming harder for deer, um, people to hunt later on because it's going to drop the population because it is quite effective now. They're using... Well, multiple choppers and, and spotting choppers and thermals and um, like I've heard that they've shot maybe up to a thousand deer out of the headwaters of the Dargo River up near Dinner Plain and that's a lot of deer to go missing and mm. um, I know the hound hunters had a lot of trouble this year, they normally get lots of big numbers and I think they were struggling to get anywhere close to the numbers they've shot in the last couple of years and that's just purely impact from um, the culling. So it's obviously effective in, in localised areas they're obviously never going to get you know, to be able to fly a chopper over all of Victorian bush is impossible, but localised areas is going to get decimated, and, and I'm sure when they put a chopper over my spot, I'm going to walk in there and, and not find a deer, you know what I mean? Like, um, so it's going to be heartbreaking one day. Uh, but what do you do? That's their plan. Yeah. Mm. What a note to mm. end on, Jono. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit solemn. We have been talking about the, uh, the, the the deer action plan that's out for consultation. We had a discussion about that the other day. We've got a, um, 
uh, an expert coming on uh, shortly to talk about the science of some of these things and uh, I'd be really interested to get that perspective as well but yeah it's certainly impacting everyone we saw the mm. we saw the decimation of the um, the fellow herd up around uh, Stanport Ballandine way um, it went from yep. you know super healthy numbers for hunters to like struggling to see an animal on the same block anymore um, so it's yep. a real shame but I mean like they get it they get what they're trying to do they've got their agenda and we have ours and you know it makes it mm. difficult, but it'll it'll put the hunt back into hunting for many. Um, you know, you'll have to go deeper, you'll have to go longer, and you know the the, yep. the keen and enthusiastic will find a way. And um, I think those that are shooting out of yeah. the side of the cars will probably not. Hundred percent. I think you'll see a lot of people will drop away from hunting if 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 it becomes hard to find it here, um, mm. and then only the keen hunters will will continue. And I think then maybe the hunting could potentially be really good again um, because. Most of my areas are good hunting because not because of the deer numbers are uh, more or, or whatever, it's because there's less hunters. Mm. Um, less hunters means less undisturbed deer and uh, more natural habits. So, yep. yeah, no, it's mm. all right. Well, uh, before we let you go, let's test your memory for a second. Um, how are people going to find you? Social handles on Instagram. Yep, uh, well, I've got a Get website now, so website is zebrashunting.com, um, so all the information you need for any of my courses, guided hunt uh, education, um, my online course, if you just go to zebrashunting.com, you can find everything you need to know there, uh, you can book uh, group courses there, it's got links to the online course, it's got links to my Patreon, YouTube, Instagram. Um, it's also got some merch for sale on there, so there's a shop on there now. Um, and apart from that, yeah, just go through. Um, I've got two web um, Facebook pages. One's just Zed Jones, and the other one's uh, Zebra Stand Hunting Adventures. On Instagram is Zebra J eighty two. Yeah, that's when I was born. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, so I'm all over the socials. Um, I've got the website now, which is good, and obviously uh, YouTube, uh, Zebra's Sam Hunting Adventures as well. Um, if you leave a comment, I'll, I'll answer it. Um, don't be shy. I'm pretty open with um, mm. everything about you know learning how to hunt or any questions, gear or you know, anything really. Um, Go and check out my Patreon. There's some support levels in there that um, give you a lot more uh, access to me personally, which might be just what you need to, you know, to make that hunt successful. Um, think of it as a, you know a couple of tanks of fuel wasted trying to find a deer. Uh, you, you know, for the, the price of that, you can get a lot of uh, information from me. And um, yeah, that's I a good pitch. I've got a lot to offer there. Um, just go and check it out. Uh, there's a basically some sort of level for everyone. Um, from if you can't afford anything, just watch my YouTube, mate. There's um, there's a hundred tips in there if you go through them all. I know blokes that sit down and watch them and with a notepad. And when I spit out a, a tip or a trick, they're eagerly writing it down. So. <laughs> Um, guilty, 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 guilty yeah. as <laughs> So there's, there's free tips and then you can go right up to the one-on-one -on -one with me and um, that's just going to be an experience that uh, you, you'll probably remember for the rest of your life. So, That's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on, making the time. I'm sure people get a lot out of this. We'll post all of those social details, bits and pieces in the description of the podcast. It'll go out on our YouTube channel and uh, the various different podcast channels as well. So, um, yep, looking forward to getting it out and we'll keep in touch. Looking forward to getting back down to the Samba. Um, You may have just given us another avenue to do so. So appreciate your time. No worries. Thank you. Thanks Thanks very much, Mike. Thank you.